2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. What verse did I say? Verse 7. Also be on the screens for you. Uh, so I encourage you to, if you don't have a physical Bible, to look up there. And the Apostle Paul says to his son in the gospel, Timothy, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you're reading the King James Version or something like it, you would have heard it say, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Sound mind. And so I want to jump into this today, and I want to encourage you um, from the context of this, this passage, this pericope. Um, but I want to land on this text, and I believe that there are some things that are relevant to us out of this concept of us uh, walking and making some bold moves. Are you with me this morning? Cool. So listen, uh, I am, I, you know, we started this church uh, three, we started this church three years ago. Um, we just celebrated in January our third anniversary and God has done incredible things. I'm so excited about all the lives that have been impacted and changed and it's just wonderful how he's continuing to draw people like yourselves to come and hang out on a Sunday morning and to connect and walk in purpose and it just blows my mind uh, the more I get to hear stories and hear journeys you know of how God you know has connected people it's just exciting to me because people literally from all over the world from all sorts of backgrounds God is calling and galvanizing and bringing us together now in starting this church uh, when we were getting ready to get going, I just, if I can, is it okay for pastors to be honest? Yes. I was in a place where, you know, where I was just in a position where I was really feeling intimidated. Um, I had just come out of a, you know, out of a, a terrible ministry experience uh, where we were in California prior to moving back home to Toronto. And it was just nuts. And although God had called me, and called my wife and I, called our household to come back to Toronto to plant this church. And now we're seeing all of the fruit and God is saving people and all of this. You know, for a season before we got going, I really was walking in a place of intimidation. Now, the thing is, prior to this experience that I had, you know, it was, it was nuts. Like, we, we, the, the level of boldness, my wife would always say, she'd be like, babe, you have a right now spirit. That's what she would tell me all the time. It's like you move too fast and you're just so quick to do stuff and you're, you know, and, and you're, and she, she recently told someone, she, she said when we got uh, going, she's like, I'm tired of following a man of faith, you know, because it, it takes us literally everywhere and all sorts of stuff happens. And, you know, if you come along the journey, it's nuts. And I, prior to this, was in a very bold place. But, you know, something happened in this ministerial experience that I had. Or people were talking about me. Can I just paint the picture? And saying things that were untrue. And, um, you know, and just, it was just a very difficult season of my life. One that I'd never experienced. I actually found myself on um, a literal mountain. And I was contemplating um, killing myself, you know. Um, it's still okay for pastors to be real, right? Because I'm not the only person that's ever felt okay. And see, I think that a lot of times, you know, um, we look up at the pulpit or the stage and we think that the people who are up here are perfect. 
And we don't realize that we, that, um, that your pastors and your leaders, even if they don't let on, deal with similar things that you deal with. And so I was in such a depressed place. I was crushed. And I did not notice how, how big of a grip this thing had on me. So my wife and I, we're getting ready. We were getting ready to plant the church. And we went through this coaching scenario. And it was this coaching thing where we went there. They were, uh, their attempt was to imbue us with the tools that were necessary to go forward and to be able to plant uh, Serve City Church. And so we went through it. You know, there were different stations we would go to. And, uh, you know, and I, I got, they, they had this thing where we would do a panel. And we went on this panel. I was sitting on the stage. And I didn't even recognize this about myself. But whenever they would say, they would offer out an opportunity for the people on the panel to answer, I would always, if they gave me the mic, I would always pass it up the row and say, hey, you, you go ahead and start, you know. And I, and I was framing it as I was in a position of humility. I just wanted to let somebody else go before me. And I didn't sense that it was actually from a place of intimidation. And it was in a, from a place of fear. And so anyways, I end up going through all of these sessions. And my wife and I were going through them. And they're, they're, uh, they're, they're challenging us around various things related to... Um, Related to, you know, church planting. And I'll never forget. Stay with me. I'm just painting the picture. I got to this one room. I think it was, might have even been the last one. And there was this tiny lady that was just sitting in there. My wife and I sat there and we're like, okay, this thing went good. We're good. We're going to go through and we're going to pass on. And she goes to me. She just looks at me. She says, she says young man, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I just noticed the whole time that you were here. You are always deferring. You're always, you know, passing it along. You're always, you're not willing to, you know, step up. You're not willing to. She's like, I just sense that there's a spirit of intimidation and fear that is on you. And that was the first time in a long time that someone had confronted me about where I was at. And it was nuts because I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments, you know, uh, where you're hearing something. And suddenly it just clicks, like, oh, that's why. And she challenged me and she said, what you're operating in, if I remember correctly, was false humility. And it's actually rooted in fear. Come on, somebody. And so this is why you keep passing it on when the opportunities are given to you. And it's because you're walking in fear and you're not walking in the confidence and the boldness that God has called you to. And the fact of the matter is that this, you know, in that moment, and I started to cry, and I was in, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments where it's just like, wow, the light bulb comes on. And you're like, this is, yo, this, she, just, she just walked all up in my business. You know, it's, it's easy for you to preach to people and for you to hear people tell you that. But physician, heal yourself, right? And so I was sitting there in that moment, it was just turned into like a therapy session. And this little lady just went there and just cut me down to size and challenged me and rebuked that off of me. Come on, somebody. And out of that moment, I left there. Because the thing is, the organization which we were getting that training through, we didn't even end up going with that organization. We went with a completely different organization. 
We ended up planting through a completely different organization, but I realized that I could not proceed to be able to minister to you. Come on, somebody. If God did not send me through that little encounter to be able to break that spirit of fear and intimidation and that seed that had been planted in my life by people who were opposing the call of God on my life. Come on. And I don't know who I'm talking to today because some of y'all, you're looking at me and you say, Pastor Andrew's so bold. You need to understand that it has not always been this way come on somebody can I just testify and the fact of the matter is even though I operated in it previously there were some things that came up and got me to the place where I was starting to walk in a place of fear and intimidation instead of walking into what God has called me to but God sent me to a little lady in a room up in some place I don't even remember where it's just some place a backyard place and ended up ended up using her to break that off of me and so today this is what I, this 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 is so relevant to us because i believe that god is calling us to make some bold moves come on church in the midst of when fear and intimidation are so rich and are pervasive throughout the land not just in see watch this this is nuts because this is not just a canada thing come on somebody this is not just a usa thing this is not just a europe thing this is something that is all over the world it is a pandemic and it's causing people People to panic and the fact of the matter is there are more people who have been cured than those who have died from the COVID-19 but the thing about the false prophet called the media is that it highlights come on somebody the negative because the desire is for you and I to walk into a place of fear so they're gonna capitalize on the things that are negative as opposed to can I just preach this thing like I feel it as opposed to highlighting the things that we need to hear that will instill peace in our world today and there are things that you are hearing today and I believe that even in your life can I just talk about your life come on can I drive down your street and show, park in your driveway and come in for tea because the enemy has many of us has caused us the focal point of our lives to be the things that are going wrong and if one would be real with me today you would get to the place where you would admit and understand that if we really took inventory of the way that things are my god there are more things going right in your life than things that are going wrong the fact is that you woke up this morning i wonder if it's a church in here and the fact that you're alive and we ain't saying rest in peace on facebook is enough of a reason for you to clap those hands and give the lord the praise come on the fact that you were able to walk in here i wonder if it's a church that knows that you're happy that your legs are working and even if your legs ain't working if you had to roll yourself in here come on somebody your hands are working so you can roll yourself i don't know what you ate for breakfast it might have been some government cheese y'all don't know about government cheese and some salami come on somebody or some fried bacon but you ought to be grateful that you had something in your belly but the devil he has the unmitigated call and the audacity to get you to highlight the things in your life that are going wrong as opposed to focusing on the things that should cause you to give the lord praise i wonder if it's someone that's free in this place that showed up and said you know what i was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the lord and as long as i have the freedom to be able to declare the name of jesus i'm not going patty cake but i'm going to use the opportunity to lift high his name if that's you i dare you to put those hands together and open your mouth like you're free and give the lord 
great. I feel them. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Thank you, Jesus. So look, this was broken off of me. And here we go. I want to talk about this as we're talking about being in a place where we are called to live bold lives. Somebody say bold lives. To make bold moves. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he writes this story, he writes this letter, this epistle to his son in the gospel. As you may have heard this, his spiritual son, or in the layman's terms, his mentee. And so he writes this to him, and uh, he writes this as it's believed that is, you know, it's pretty unanimous that they believe that he wrote this while he was in prison in Rome. And so it's powerful because he's writing this letter to his son in the gospel while he is imprisoned in Rome. And, you know, it's crazy because I just love stuff like this where the apostle Paul is in bondage yet and still he used the opportunity not to focus on his issues. But he used that moment to instead of being selfish, to be selfless and to think and write to his son that is in the gospel. Uh, as far as the date is concerned, there are many speculations as to ex the exact date that he wrote this. Nonetheless, we believe that he wrote this while in prison in Rome. Now, this is powerful. Let's go uh, just to get to the context of this. Second Timothy chapter one and onward. Bible says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, watch this in verse 3. I thank God who I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. And this is very powerful when you think about this. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul who is, uh, has a, a Jewish background. And he was a persecutor of Christians. And the fact of the matter is that he is noting that and he is declaring that his that he is he is in a position where he's thanking God who he serves as did his ancestors. Then the way that he renders it, I think it's great to note this because it's almost as if Christianity is not some sort of as commentators would say some sort of an upstart religion, some sort of something that is just like a brand new concept. What it is, watch this, is it's kind of the natural progression of Judaism. This is why Christians are known as Judeo-Christian, right? Because we find our faith rooted, although we are not Jews, and we do not, we're not under the law, and we do not live by the law, we live by the Holy Spirit, as 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 7 and onward makes that clear, and there is a clear distinction and a difference. We learn that Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, consequently, the fulfillment of Judaism. So Christianity is, the, is what, uh, what Judaism pointed to. And so this is just a, a side note, uh, but he, he makes it clear that he serves just as his ancestors did. They served God too. They, the, the faith that they had pointed forward to the gospel. And uh, so in the Messiah that would, would come who is fulfilled in Christ. And he says he's able to do so with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And so he's thanking God that, you know, as he's remembering someone else in prayer. And I'm just thinking as we're talking about going forward in this time that we're living in. 
Where is your focus as it pertains to even intercession? Intercession is prayer on the behalf of others. Do you just get excited when you pray on behalf of yourself? Or do you find joy in praying for those who you lead if you are leading people? And obviously the Bible makes it clear that we are supposed to go and make disciples. Make mentees. Come on somebody. People that follow us as we follow Christ. That we are able to teach and empower. And he is excited about this disciple of his. And he's excited when he remembers him in prayer. I love this stuff because even as he goes on, I just wanted to show you this. Uh, this is very powerful. Paul is a man's man, fam. But look at his whole perspective. I want to talk about this. He says uh, in verse 4, as I remember your tears. He doesn't say, suck it up. As I remember your tears, stop crying, fool. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that you may be filled with joy that i may be filled with joy i am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother lois and in your mother eunice and now i am sure dwells in you as well and i love this because this flies in the face of everyone that says that you can't be a man and a christian man and be emotional and that to be macho means that you have to cut off your emotions Come on, somebody. When we're talking about making bold moves, bold moves doesn't always mean that you got to get to a place where you are, where you are putting yourself in a position that you look, that you're macho and you're not in tune or in sense with your emotions. Here he celebrates and he talks about and he acknowledges the emotions that, the, uh, that his son in the gospel has expressed. Whatever it was that he was going through, as it's not clear what it is that he is crying about, you know. But this is an individual where he goes on and he unpacks. Can we, just, uh, can we just talk about this in context? So then we go on and he says, he's reminded of his sincere faith. I love it because he doesn't say I'm reminded, I'm reminded of your perfect faith. You know, it, it's sincerity over perfection. He challenges his disciple and he says, I recognize and I celebrate your sincere faith. That you're truthful. That you're not half-tailing but that you're you are sincere i love it and he says not only this he says with your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in first in your grandmother lois and your mother eunice and now i am sure dwells in you this is powerful because christianity and we don't really see renderings like this in scripture where there are multi-generational christian experiences in the first century you know of christianity this is not something that we would see regularly and so this is powerful he says you are so so timothy is a third generation christian what's powerful about this this, this, this is the stuff i nerd out on and i get excited about because this all happens this connection in act 16 what book did i say in act 16 this is where this encounter happens verse one we don't have to turn there but at lystra it is where Paul connects with, uh, with, with these individuals. And in Acts 16 verse 1, it lists no names. It lists no names. It just talks about this disciple Timothy and how he was commended by the brothers in the faith. And he's to the place where, you know, and it talks about his mom. But no names are mentioned. But yet here, and that was Luke writing. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts. 
And here we find Paul writing this letter to Timothy. And Paul, he mentions and he talks about Lois, his grandma, and Eunice, his mom. So this shows us that Paul actually had an, a relationship and he actually knew these people, right? And Luke was not, or Paul is not copying Luke in Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. He's not copying him. He actually knows these people and he's writing based on his knowledge to where he's actually mentioning names. Everybody say names. Trust me, I'm going somewhere. Because when we're talking about this now, so this is a third, this is third generational, this is powerful. Uh, and the fact that Lois and Eunice were uh, Grecian names. So they are, they were more than likely Hellenists. Everybody say Hellenists. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. So this is where they have these names from. And so they are converts to Christianity. Christianity, And, uh, and more than likely it was Lois, his grandma, that was first converted to Christianity. It's just powerful for me because, you know, I want to just share this. Some of you, the biggest thing that God is doing in your life is that you are a Lois in your generational line. I don't know how many people, how many people in your household or in your line are Christian. And it's crazy because we meet people and we get to baptize people here at this church who are the first Christian in their family. And I'm just excited because you making that bold move. There's some of you right now, you're like, well, my family structure is Hindu or is Muslim or my family structure. You know, we honor Sudarta Gautama or we, you know, we're, we're Christian scientists or we've been Jehovah's Witness or we're one of these or Mormons or whatever the case may be. And some of y'all think those are actual Christian organizations. No, baby, they are not. They deny the divinity and the deity of Christ and their various other things. Come on, somebody that they do. I I don't care what you grew up as sometimes God is positioning you to be the first in your family and in your bloodline and it, all it takes hey, all it takes is one individual to say yes to Jesus to change the trajectory of an entire bloodline I'm so excited that my kids don't have to grow up in the same level of bondage, spiritual and religious bondage that I had to grow up in. Can I just testify? And so when I give God praise, it's not just because of what he's doing in my life, but I'm so glad that I get, and by God's grace, that we get to shift tides and be able to change some things for our bloodline. Somebody say, for my bloodline. Oh, I don't know what you might be the first to do in your bloodline, but don't let the past hinder you. Come on, somebody. I believe that God's getting ready that your kid right now. I'm pastoring my grandkids. Come on, somebody. I'm pa as I'm pastoring my kids, I'm pastoring my grandkids. And I believe that generations later, if Jesus tarries, they'll be able to look back and say, I had a granddad who served the Lord. Come on, somebody. That in the in the face of the of, of, of things that were impossible, that he trusted Jesus. I wonder if it's anybody else in this place that says. I'm living for my generational line it's not just about me come on somebody but I'm believing the generations after me will be blessed I dare you to just say your last name in the atmosphere right here come on somebody I, you, you think I'm looking at don't look at me crazy I dare you right now in the midst of this fear that's happening because of corona I dare you to just open your mouth right now and just shout out your family name right here come on shout it out 
my family name, the Beresford household, will be blessed. And from generation to generation, because of the bold moves, oh man, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. I wonder if there's anyone that has faith. Because of the bold moves that are happening in my life, I believe addiction can be cut off. Come on, somebody. I believe lust can be cut off from my line. I believe that Jesus' worship will be exalted and lifted in the generations after because of the bold moves we make today. That wasn't the message though. That one was for free. So look, he says, Lois and Eunice, now I'm sure it dwells in you. For this reason, for this reason, I remind you, he says, to fan into flame the gift of God. Somebody say the gift of God. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And what I love about this, it's powerful because in the KJV, it says, stir up the gift that is in you by the laying on of my hands. It's powerful because uh, Timothy, Timothy is a pastoral guy. He's an evangelist. And the apostle Paul makes it clear that there was something that was instilled in him, that he was imbued, you know, before the foundations of the earth, he was called, uh, Timothy was called to walk in something. Uh, but here we find the principle that certain things, watch this, are, are initiated, are activated, are imparted to us through spiritual leadership. And this is not a manipulative tactic uh, for me to sell myself as a pastor. But some of you wonder why it is that you are to be, you are to follow the leadership of spiritual leaders. Read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and onward. The Bible makes it clear that he gave pastors and apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastors, teachers. He gave them as gifts to the body of Christ to be able to equip us for the work of the ministry. So I don't just show up here and we don't just have services church so I can build a platform for myself uh, from which I can yell and run around for an hour the fact of the matter is that we are assigned to be able watch this the pinnacle of my ministry is to see Trudy Lee come on somebody come from being a dancer and still dance but walk into purpose and lead people on our production team come on somebody the reason why the purpose of our assignment my wife and I is to see people like uh, Dwayne like you know the story of Dwayne coming and and Dwayne Cummings from, uh, from Germany coming and getting saved and being baptized and now is downstairs teaching your kids about Jesus. It's about empowerment. This is why. And so oftentimes the call on our life is activated. And so the Apostle Paul, he talks about uh, how he had a personal hand in this. Now we learn from uh, the book of uh, 1 Timothy. So we're in 2 Timothy, but you can write this down if you're a note taker. Check it out for yourself in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14. We find that the apostle is actually not just referring uh, to himself as to when it was that he laid his hands personally on, uh, he laid his hand personally on Timothy, but he was a part of a presbytery. Everybody say a presbytery. And a presbytery was a group of leaders and the assignment on their life uh, was to, to legitimize people who expressed a call of God on their lives, right? And so the Apostle Paul is not just this guy that did it by himself, but it was a company and it was a group. He says, don't neglect in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 13, the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders or the presbytery laid their hands on you. So a similar 
wording when he wrote in his first letter to Timothy is the same here in the passage. Can we just teach for a second? And so it's imperative for us to understand this because he's, he's laying hands on him for legitimacy. He's laying hands on him because he's called to be an evangelist. He's called to, uh, be, uh, to pastor people. And this is the assignment that is on his life. But although this assignment is on his life, for whatever reason, he's talking about, you know, he's in a place where he's talking to him about his tears and he's talking to him about all of this sorts of stuff. And although this call is on his life and it's been prophesied to him, fact of the matter is that he goes and he says he says that although you know this call on your life and it's been declared to you that you've got to stir up the gift that you've got to fan into flame like a pilot on a gas stove the pilot is there but we've been talking about in order for you to cook you got to turn on the stove and lots of us watch this we want the prophetic word but we don't want don't want to do the prophetic work and so sometimes God will declare stuff to you and reveal stuff to you about your calling and your purpose and your destiny. But we've got to get to the place, come on somebody, where we are willing to do what is necessary to activate and to stir up and to agitate that which God has put in us so that we can live it out. Let me break it down for you like this. This is the cup, a teacup that I got from, uh, from the city church. Uh, when I preached there not too long ago, City Church, you hear us pray for them always out in the West. Uh, my friend, Pastor Brent Coulter and his wife, Nicole, and they gave me this, this teacup uh, and this mug, you know, coffee mug. And, you know, I'm a freshie, so I like tea still, right? Uh, my favorite tea is Earl Grey. Who else likes Earl Grey? Yeah, okay, all right. Um, yeah, y'all need to get delivered. Amen. <laughs> but the thing about it is I can go ahead and I can... You know, uh, get this Earl Grey tea and I can put the Earl Grey in there. Come on. And, you know, I can let this thing steep. Let's say I'm, I'm that guy that lets the tea steep and it steeps covered. Because I want to make sure that all the goodness, all the bergamot, everything is coming out and the notes that we can taste all this. I'm, I'm a foodie. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love food, right? So anyways, nonetheless, it can steep. And after this, what you need to do is, uh, you know, I can drink it black as well. Uh, you know, some of you, who likes drinking tea black? Okay, some of y'all. Okay, fantastic. But, you know, every now and again, uh, if we like tea in, Kadeem stood up for that one, so you might, okay, brother. Very passionate about black tea. Amen. So look, so anyways, the thing is that after the tea is steep, and, I, you know, and say if I don't want to drink it black, you know, and I want a little sweet sweetener in there, I put some sugar in there. Thing is that, can I go now, after I've put this sugar in, and drink this tea and experience the sweetness that I need to experience by just pouring it into the water? Have you ever drank tea for, that you've poured the sugar in and you forgot to do something? And you're like, man, did I even put sugar in here? Maybe I'm the only person. No, okay. The fact of the matter is that in order for me to taste the sugar... In order for the stuff that's at the bottom, come on somebody, to move from the bottom and to mix in so that I can taste and see that the tea is good. Come on somebody. I got to do something called stirring it up. Stir it up. Hey. Y'all don't know about that. Little darling. Okay. Anyway, but I got to stir it up. Let's get back to church. Amen. 
I got to stir it up so that it gets mixed up. Come on, somebody. So that it can so that it can be tasted and we can taste and see that it is sweet. Come on. And the fact of the matter is that many of you are like this teacup. Yes, you have gone through the time. Come on. The, the tea has steeped in you. You know what type of tea you're supposed to be. Come on. Some of you, it's not even about you trying to discover your purpose. I told you last week, some of you do need to go to therapy. But there's some of you, you've been to therapy. Come on, somebody. You've been to the prayer lines. The pastor's done spat on you because you've been so close he laid hands he pushed you over picked you up pushed you back down and declared this time next year come on and you got up and you left the exact same way because you were unwilling to do what was necessary to stir up the stuff that's in you and I don't care how many people prophesy over you I don't care how much you declare I'm the head and not the tail I'm the lender and not the borrower if you still if you keep spending your credit card on red bottom shoes when you don't have the cash to cover it I don't care how much you declare that you're the head and not the tail you're going to be declaring you're the head walking as the tail come on somebody but I believe that the time is upon us that God is calling you to stir up what you know is inside of you and so here's point number one for you if you will point number one it's going to be on the screens for you if you will watch this you've got to identify and walk in your gifting if you don't know it come to next steps after service famous plug and we'll talk to you about the things that God calls us to come on somebody and we talk about it in that but also this is why you're a part of a church I'm telling you there are people who come to this church that their purpose is coming alive in them just by them coming and being here come on somebody through serving in a team and, and being a part of what's going on through being a part of life groups another shameless plug we find that people are coming to life and are figuring out what their purpose is that is what our desire is for you to for you to come to life and to figure out what it is that you are called to do so identify but don't just identify walk it out somebody say i gotta walk it out you gotta walk this thing out man don't just know about it stir it up come on somebody the apostle paul tells his mentee he says you know what you're called to do it was prophesied to you I laid hands and I imparted it and this is what I tell people who I mentor there are people who I used to mentor that I don't mentor anymore and I and I don't mentor them anymore because I said listen I am not going to waste my time come on somebody I am not going to waste my precious time that I could be holding Lil Claire and running around the house playing tag with her come on and uh, making love to my wife spending time y'all don't want to be real today stop wasting your time on people that don't desire that have the words but are not going to stir it up come on in fact just say to yourself i'm going to stir it up come on touch yourself we're not touching neighbors today and say i gotta stir it up come on somebody notice he says for god look look, look. after he tells him to stir it up he says this is why for god gave us a lowercase s he gave us not uh, gave us a spirit not of fear so fear is a spirit just as uh, the Holy Spirit is a spirit the enemy assigns spiritual wickedness and he can uh, enter us and we can walk in a spirit of fear where in the midst of situations he's always going to present this thing and the thing I want you to rate to realize is that the first thing is the first thing I want you to realize in regards to this because we're talking about fear first of all this spirit is lowercase in the text and it's lowercase for a reason the same word pneuma but it's lowercase in the English because they want us to understand that it's nowhere in comparison 
to the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. And so he's saying he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. And watch this. The, the, the fact of the matter is that first he, he, he's talking and the letter is addressed to Timothy. But here we get to eavesdrop and he makes a statement because I said, isn't it powerful that we're reading this thousands of years later? And it's applicable to us because he's talking to Timothy. He's saying, stir up the gift that was placed inside of you by the laying on of my hands. And in verse 7, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So now he says something that is applicable to all of us. As believers, God has not given us the spirit of fear. And I love it. So he starts by telling him what God has not given you. Oh my. So that you can identify what he has given you. And the fact of the matter is, watch this, he says, God has not given us. So in other words, we got to get to the place. You know, how many of you have been in a place where you get stuff in the mail that you know doesn't belong to you? I get letters all the time in the mail that are, that are, uh, that are addressed to Harvinder, Sukulabugulabudu. And I'm like, I have absolutely no clue who on earth this person is. Y'all don't want to be real with me. And then what we do is we put a return to sender on that letter because it doesn't belong to me come on somebody and there have been some of you that have been opening that fear mail you've been opening it up you've been reading it even though that's not your bill come on somebody when i look at that address if that's not my name if it's not addressed to me come on i am a child of god my bible said in philippians chapter 4 verse 6 be anxious can i just talk about the bible for nothing come on but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make my request be made known unto god and the peace of god that passes all understanding will guard my hearts and minds in christ Jesus and so the fact of the matter is we're walking around here in a spirit of fear and it's not addressed to us I love it that you know literally hundreds of times throughout the books of the books of the Bible the 66 books of the Bible we see God telling his people fear not fear not for I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. How many of you know the Bible? God, it's believed that over 300 times God says fear not or do not fear. That's what God tells us. Even when Mary is pregnant with a baby that she didn't have sex to have. Miraculously. And the angel Gabriel comes and tells her fear not. It's just insane because God's desire for us is not fear. Can I just speak to fear today? The fact of the matter is, can I just tell you this? This isn't one of the points on the screen, but I want to talk to you about fear because this is something the Lord has shown me over the years. The fruit of fear itself is often worse than if what we fear was to come to pass. The fruit of fear itself, the things that happen to us when we are engulfed by fear often are worse than if what we fear actually was to come to pass. And many of us, we spend the duration of our life in fear and getting damaged by fear. And watch this. The enemy, here's another one for you. The enemy, the enemy, uh, when we allow the enemy to paralyze us with fear, it hinders us from experiencing the fruit of our faith. When we allow the enemy to paralyze us with fear, it hinders us from experiencing the fruit of our faith. 
God has so much for you through your faith. Do you know that faith the size of a mustard seed has the capability of moving a mountain? Come on, somebody. But many of us, we can't even experience that. And the reason why, come on, the reason why is because we're so paralyzed by fear that we don't ever get a chance to operate and reap the benefits of what would happen if we actually put faith in our God. And I just want to declare to somebody today, come out from that spirit of fear. I declare to the spirit of fear to break off of you even now in the name of Jesus come on if you receive this even now you ought to open your heart and begin I believe that God has called you to walk in faith there are things that God has for you can I just declare it so many of you in this place today there are things he has for you but you can't experience it because you are engulfed by fear you don't even know the fruit. You haven't even seen the fruit. And, 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 and God wants you to have it, but the enemy has paralyzed you by fear. Let me, hear, let me tell you this. Fear is often a smokescreen used by the enemy to distract us from his actual attack. So in many cases, you're fearful about something that's not even the attack. And while you're obsessing over this thing in one ear, oh my, can I just talk to somebody? You're obsessing over fear and being fearful in one area when the enemy is jacking you up actually in another area. Somebody say, fear is a smokescreen. Fear is often a smokescreen. And so I close by this. So he says, he says in uh, verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Look, he gave me power and love. And self-control. God has called you first of all. Here it is. Point number two. I'm going to go through these really quickly. Point number two will be on the screens for you. Walk boldly with godly power and authority. So he hasn't given you fear. When you're presented with fear, you reject it and you walk in godly power and authority. It's not about climbing a success ladder that the world would portray as godly success. Come on, somebody. But God has called us to walk in a place of power and in a place of authority. Dunamis and exousia. Authority and power. Power that comes from God to be able to declare and come against that which the enemy will bring up against us. This is why the church cannot respond. The church cannot respond in fear to coronavirus. This is why the church and the kingdom cannot respond in fear to pandemics and things when they arise and national crisis because we are serving the God who is omnipotent. He is all powerful and he is in me. Come on. This is why I don't shrink back based on who I'm facing that is opposing God. Because 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, somebody in this place. We've got to be the place where we walk in power instead of shrinking back in fear. When it is that the enemy that the enemy comes our way. This is why in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 through 11, the apostle Peter talks about, he says that when the enemy comes up against us, that we've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be vigilant because of the adversary walking around like a roaring lion whom he may devour. And he says, resist him. Firm in the faith. Knowing that the same tribulations and the things that you're facing are being faced by your brothers and sisters all around the world. But after you've suffered a little while, he says that this same God will restore and will establish you. Come on, somebody. That he'll bring you to a place of victory if you and I choose power over fear. 
This is what he's given us. He's given us power. Number two, number two, number two. Not only this, he says, but of power and of love. Everybody shout love. Here it is. Point number two or three. Forgive me. Point number three. Walk boldly with godly love and compassion. First John chapter four, write it down. Verse 18 talks about how there's no fear in love. When he's saying that God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you are loving, when you truly love someone the way, like the way I love my wife, I don't walk fearfully with my wife. Because I know that my wife loves me. I know she has my back. She has proven it to me over and over again. So I don't walk in fear. I walk in power. But I also walk in love with my wife. And fear and love are not in a place of coexistence. And so it is with God. God has been way too good to us. He has made way too many ways. He has opened way too many doors for us to be singing. But I love you Jesus. And walking in fear at the same time got to be walking in love for God but also compassion love and compassion because if you have this love it's not only about your vertical relationship with God but it's also about your horizontal relationship with others I was watching uh Diane Pastor Diana Nepstead uh she was on uh you know a, a church to be following California uh some people that we know powerful leaders and she was talking about during this whole coronavirus thing she's like I'm going up and down my neighborhood because they're elderly people that live on my block and while we're sitting here worried about whether or not we have sanitizer, what about the old person who is actually more likely to have a horrible effect, come on somebody, and reaction to coronavirus than you up in your house? And so the fact of the matter is, in these situations, we're usually just, that's why Walmart is tore up. People running, killing each other for toilet paper. Are you being compassionate when stuff like this happens? God has given you power, but he's also given you new loving power to where we go forward and we walk in a compassionate way towards those who are in our circle of influence. How are you? There are organizations we can partner with and things of this nature that we can join forces with to demonstrate God's love as we walk out what he's called us to do. Bold moves through love and compassion. And then not only this, as we go to the last one, the last one, I love this. He says he hasn't given you power of love, uh, uh, spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And then lastly, he says, and of self-control. Can I give you point number four? Here it is. Point number four. Walk with bold self-control, knowing God's in control. Wow. Here it is. So he's telling him, he's saying, Timothy, God didn't give you fear. And so what happens when we get fearful? We start uh, operating in an erratic fashion. I remember the, 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 uh, the police many years ago, he pulled me over and he was like, son, he's like, you are, he's like, you are making too many erratic lane changes. I was here and I was trying to, you know when you're trying to go someplace and you go over and you go behind someone and you try to make them move out the way and then if they don't move out the way, then you go back over this way and while you're driving by, you throw them a, a, a sanctified finger and then you keep going up. See, some of y'all, you don't know anything about that, do you? And you go this way, and then you go this way, and you drive fast, and then, and then you, it's so funny, people that be speeding by me, and then we all end up at the same stoplight. It's like, fam, where were you going, B? Like, 
We literally ended up at the same. But you know, oftentimes we start acting erratic. We start acting out of control when stuff goes on and we forget our character. But I wonder if there's anybody in here, if I can just bring this plane down for a landing to let you know, watch this, that God's design is not for us to lose our minds in the midst of turmoil. Come on, somebody. People should be able to look at you and because not only do you not have the spirit of fear, but you have power, you have love, and you have self-control. One of the the greatest evidences of God's presence in your and my life is that in the times of crisis that we don't lose our minds come on somebody that we don't forget you want to know why because even though things might be out of control God is still in control and this is why we got to be to the place like Paul where he declares and he says in Romans 8 28 for I know come on I'm confident that all that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are the call according to his purpose so no matter what's going on in the world right now we can celebrate and know that God is still in control so I can walk in self-control come on God is still in control so I can walk in self-control even if I lose my job and I don't know where I'm gonna live and stuff is not working out God is still in control as long as I'm connected to the source of all things I can walk with confidence because he is still in control I hear Jesus declare as I bring this plane down for a landing in John chapter 16 verse 33 he says in this life you will have persecution and tribulation but he says be of good cheer why somebody ask me why somebody ask me why he says because I have overcome the world come on somebody I don't know what you're facing but anything that's in the world as long as it's in the world Jesus has already overcome it and that's a reason for you and me to give him the praise what are you talking about preacher well the Bible lets me know that over 2,000 years ago that he was whipped with a cat of nine tails a whip that had some broken bone and shell on it come on and they ripped chumps out of of his back that they hung him high on an old rugged cross in my place come on and in your place and they put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet and the Bible lets me know that while he was up there that he was in a position where he took the sins of the whole world on him come on somebody that he was bruised wounded for my transgressions that he was bruised for my iniquity can I say it two weeks in a row that the chastisement of my peace was upon him and with his stripes I am healed and I'm so glad and I'm so glad and I'm so glad you better hear me covoid 19 I'm so glad that even on your best day come on that you can't stop the fact that he got up come on on the third day with all power in his hands and now not even death is the end come on somebody I don't even have to trip in the face of death because I get to be with Jesus because I put trust in faith in him do I got a witness in this place I get to be with Jesus not even death is the end not even oh death where is your sting Woo! Jesus is still in control even in the face of death somebody ought to give him praise if you know that even when things are out of control that God is still in control